guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 84 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati, as well as producer Phoebe. We have a super, super special episode today. We have Les Johns, who covers all Wake Forest sports as a publisher for Demon Deacon Digest at 247sports.com. He's been covering Wake Forest since 2014. He also does a little bit of writing for Deacon Sports Extra. Les, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Glad to be on, Trevor and Dan and Phoebe. I appreciate you having me. It's an exciting time in Wake Forest athletics and uh, especially for Wake Forest baseball right now. Yeah, so, I mean, let's get right into it. You let us right there. How fun has this season been? I mean, obviously, they've been at the top of the country on the polls for a couple weeks now. How exciting has it been to cover this group, to cover this team specifically? Well, it's it's been a lot of fun, Trevor, and it's one of those things that, as the season started, and as it as it started, you know, before it even started, really, I talked to Coach Walter, and and you could look at who they had coming back and think, you know, they've got some guys. This could be a special year, and you know, I kept on cautioning myself in the fan base. It'd be like, well, let's get through the first ACC, you know, uh, series. Well, let's get to the Boston College series because the Eagles were hot to start the season. Then it's like, well, let's wait and see how this top 10 matchup does against Louisville. And it's like the Deeks just pass test after test after test. You know, they go to Pittsburgh and they lose game one, three to nothing. It's like, okay, so let's see how they respond to being down in a series. And then they score 40 runs over the next two games and just obliterate the Panthers the next two games on the road. And they just passed every test so far. And it's been a lot of fun. Um these guys have a little bit of, of, of uh, spunk to them. 
Uh, there are a little bit of rock stars when they're on the road. There's been a lot of autograph seekers, you know, in games on the road. You know, whether that's in Tallahassee or Pittsburgh or, or Durham, you know, there's always kids out looking to, to seek out Rhett Louder and Brock Wilkin and, and guys like that and, and get them to sign a, sign a baseball. And uh, they've just been a lot of fun to cover. And uh, here we are now. We're entering, entering the Super Regionals, and they're the number one team in the nation. And they got a great chance to get to Omaha, which was to go all alone. And tickets are just crazy right now. This right now, the Super Regionals, is probably the hottest ticket in Wake Forest athletics I've seen in my decade covering the entire sport, uh, the entire department. Uh, there are fans that have uh, applied for tickets that have been denied. There's 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 uh, stuff on StubHub for like four hundred dollars for a, for a game. It's just wild. I never would have thought I'd see it. Well, it's so cool too because you know Wake Forest is obviously a smaller school, so to see it rolling the way it is is just. I mean, it has to be extremely exciting to be around it every day. And you know, there's talented teams throughout the country, and and you look at Wake Forest stats, and they're kind of laughable almost on both sides of the ball. But what kind of specifically having a background look into what Coach Walter has done? What about his leadership style has kind of helped them get to this level where it's, you know, you're saying like every test they had, they just blew it away. It didn't matter. Is it something that he's done? Is it something about his demeanor or his leadership? What have you seen from him? Well, he is a steady, calm leader, but I think part of what's made this kind of come together was the fact that they had some pitfalls along the way. The pitfalls haven't happened in this season. The pitfalls happened in 2020 where they had some guys like Bobby Seymour and Chris Lanzilli and they felt like they were built to do well, started off a little bit rocky, and then, of course, the season came to a crashing halt uh, because of COVID. And then they had all those guys come back for 2021, and it didn't necessarily start off that well either. And then, folks, the, the conventional wisdom is everybody started, like, worrying about their own stats instead of, you know, and their own draft positions. You know, no disrespect intended to anybody, but just the pressure mounted and it wasn't handled, you know, in the right way. And Brock Wilkin was a freshman that team and he saw things kind of fall apart right in front of him. And now he's like kind of the clubhouse leader, making sure that that kind of stuff doesn't happen now. And it's it's being through those those hiccups and those speed bumps that I think has kind of helped them keep this thing together this season. Yeah, so um, obviously good friend of the podcast, one of our co-hosts, Colin Palouse, he played for Coach Walters and speaks very highly of him as a man. I mean, Colin said it best when I talked to him on the phone last week. He gave a kid a kidney. Like, How many coaches take the take their kidney and give it to one of their players? And so kind of talk about Coach Walters, the human from your aspect. You mentioned all fair that he's great to work with. He's made your experience covering the team great. And I know that's not a guarantee anywhere across the country, but just what he represents as Wake Forest baseball and as the head man. I mean, he's the perfect embodiment of Wake Forest in terms of pro humanitate, pro humanitate, you know, the spirit of doing what you can do for your fellow man. And you said it best in terms of giving a kidney to one of his players. And, you know, and Kevin Jordan is a great guy, but he wasn't a star player. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. like, it wasn't like you're giving this to a future MLB guy. You know, you know, he, he gave it, you know, willingly when he found out he was a match. And, you know, it became a huge, you know, story. But that's just kind of the guy Tom Walter is. Uh, him and his family are fantastic. They're great to work with. Um, 
you know, he cares about his players. You know, he doesn't push his pitchers to uh, extreme, you know, circumstances, which we can see sometimes in the college game. Although I do remember, you know, Parker Dungey coming back after like a four-hour rain delay in 2017. <laughs> but I think that was more Parker just refusing to come out. But that's that's another story. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Rhett Louder, I think he's topped 100 pitches like maybe three times this entire season. You know, so Rhett Louder is not out there, you know, going nine full, you know, in a seven-to-one win. You know, he's pitching his 95 pitches and then getting out with the lead, you know. Uh, so, yeah, great guy. Um well-loved by everybody, you know, on campus and around the community. And I can't think of anybody better to lead Wake Forest baseball. So I, Trevor and I have discussed this kind of for the last couple of weeks as we led into the NCAA tournament and, you know, what allows teams to perform and what style of coaching sometimes helps with that. And, and obviously, you know, I'm of the belief that kind of that, that calm demeanor does, because if you treat it like it's something that it's not, then, the kids who, because these are still kids at the end of the day, you know, they're 18 to 23, they're going to treat it like it's something bigger than it is. But, you know, we looked at the regional and we were like, man, Wake kind of got a tough draw because that Maryland team was good and Northeastern was good. And then they just like, I mean, it was a, a plus 41 run differential. I think it ended up being something crazy like that for them. It doesn't seem like they faced any pressure. We, you know, Clemson was a host school. They got bounced. We saw some host schools not kind of live up to it. Vanderbilt was another one. But it seemed like Wake Forest was like, ah, just another day at the ballpark. Is that kind of what the mentality of that whole team has been? Is that locker room just that special right now? That it's just like, we don't feel any pressure. We're the number one overall seed. It doesn't matter. We're just happy to be playing with each other. That's that's the that's the that's the uh, that's the way it looks right now, Dan. And one of the key examples of that, I guess, probably is Rhett Louder came out and he has he has started 16 games this season for Wake Forest, and Wake Forest has won 16 games. The last time Rhett Louder stepped on the mound and they lost was exactly a year before their uh, matchup this week against Maryland. Like that was the last time he lost. Wow. You know, was a year ago that game. And there, he just come out and, and went nuts and just, you know, struck out, you know, two of his third, first three batters. The crowd was going wild. You know, he was just business as usual, you know. And the team is kind of just business as usual despite the high stakes, despite the pressure of being the number one team in the country. And part of what's led to that also is Coach Walter, early in the season, before the season even began, talked to them about the expectations that they had, you know, entering the season and had like experts come in and talk about working through that um, that having expectations because it's not something Wake Forest has had in the past. They actually entered the season with top ten expectations. So he brought in Wake Forest soccer coach Bobby Muse. He brought in former Wake Forest basketball legend Randolph Childress and spoke to the team about dealing with these expectations. And they talked about it on a weekly basis. They had meetings and talked about the importance of playing through these expectations, not just the expectations of the team, but also the expectations a lot of these have individually as they get ready for their draft years. So it wasn't something they shied away from. It's something they talked about and addressed repeatedly before the season even started. Well, and that's even super impressive because then when this day comes, right, they're going to be hosting a super regional and it's going to feel like they've been there before because they've talked about it. They haven't avoided it. One thing we talked about actually when we recapped the regional was just how 
much fun they seem to be playing, how loose they seem. And then you go turn on an LSU game and they went three and oh, they looked pretty dominant in fashion, but the tension that you kind of feel, whether it be the fan base, that's a different fan base in Baton Rouge than it is in Winston Salem. And that's completely understandable, but like you can tell that like they know if they don't at least make it to Omaha and potentially win with the guys that they have that could go one, two, that, that fan base isn't going to be happy. And then you turn on a Wake Forest game and it's just like, oh, you fell asleep early, but they won 21 to six against a really good Maryland team. And it's just like, how can they seem to just continue to stack these wins and stack these good weekends? I mean, we talked about at the beginning of the season, kind of what you led into the episode with was like, oh, just get to ACC play. And then they take two or three from Duke. And you're like, ah, well, get to Boston College and then we'll see it. And then they just keep it going. And how, like, I know I kind of asked this question the same way, but like how fun has it been to see the players kind of handle that? Like the Rhett Louder being Mr. Consistency. I mean, I think Seth Keener is one of the most impressive things that I've seen in college baseball this year as your number four, three, four guy. Like how have, how impressive has it been to see those guys that have performed and have handled those expectations so well? Well, it's funny as you talk about the progression through the season. And then one thing that just kind of, cracked me up as I started looking at it. It's like Wake Forces, they went through the season. I think they broke Louisville, but then they fixed Clemson. Because, like, after Wake played Louisville, they just fell to pieces. But after Wake played Clemson, Clemson went on this great tear. So uh, the way they've handled the pressure and they've grown together and they've grown as a team has just been phenomenal to watch. And it's it's interesting because they've had some hiccups through the season in terms of, you know, mid-season, Nick Kurtz goes out for a couple weeks with a hamstring. Adam Ciceri goes out for three or four weeks with a hamstring. Before the season started, Teddy McGraw went out, you know, top 25 projected draft pick, was lost for the season with an elbow, right? So they've had some, you know, injury issues along the way, but they've been able to handle each one of those with a different guy kind of, you know, shining through. So, you know, Lucas Costello has played great. You know, you have uh, a Danny Corona stepping in at times, you know, and in the pitching, you know, if, if if Coach Walter didn't have the foresight to add guys like Sean Sullivan and Justin Johnson from the transfer portal, then this season never would have come to fruition the way it has. You know, it was not only – he not only said, hey, I've got some dudes coming back next year, but I know I've got some dudes coming back, so let's add some key pieces in the transfer portal – to make this a special season and those guys have really produced. So yeah, it's been, it's been a ton of fun. Well, and and since you mentioned it, I I was going to ask you about this Teddy McGraw going out for a lot of teams, you know, as you mentioned, because I mean, pitching depth is just, I mean, it's everything at this level. And when you get this deep into the year, you know, do we have enough guys to get through these, these double elimination tournaments that we're playing in, you know, three, four days. And you saw it last weekend with weather where teams are having to play, you know, two games in less than 24 hours and you got double headers, but what they had built there and the depth they had built. And and to me, Sean Sullivan's been one of my favorite pitchers to watch this year at the college level, just because of how impressive it is, you know, not really a well-known guy coming from Northwestern. And then you watch him pitch and, you know, he has one of those, what looks like me and Trevor call it an invisible with his fastball because he just gets swings and misses constantly with his fastball and being able to pitch in the zone. So 
kind of what's his development been since he's gotten onto campus? Because personally, I think he's continued to get better even from early on in the year to what we're seeing him as now. Um, what's it been like to watch Sean Sullivan since he's gotten to campus? Yeah, it's it's been really entertaining. It's one of those it's one of those guys that I didn't get out to see the fall workouts, but I kept on hearing and, and Coach Walter kind of you know described him as like a unicorn with this weird arm slot, you know, and coming at you from this left, you know, it's like not something you see all the time, you know, and so we knew he was going to have an impact. What we didn't know at the time would be that he would be the Sunday starter because everybody figured the three starters would be Josh Hartle, you know, uh, Teddy McGraw. And of course, Rhett Louder. Um, so when when Teddy goes down that first weekend, Sean Sullivan goes out and strikes out like a billion people or whatever that first weekend, and then he ends up getting slotted as a weekend starter and has this great season. He did miss a couple weeks late with some shoulder inflammation, but then he came back in the ACC tournament and looked stellar through the first two and two and two thirds. Walter, Coach Walter, had planned on pitching him three. He kind of got squeezed a little bit on the third out, and things got a little out of hand with Miami end up coming out. But then he looked really good last week in the regional, and he's very likely to start one of these three games. He very well could be the Monday starter if a Monday game is necessary against Bama. I imagine he'll probably be red on Saturday, Josh Hartle on Sunday, and then to be determined on Monday, being either Keener or, or, or Sullivan, depend upon if either one of those guys are needed Saturday or Sunday. So that's the weird thing is like for a three-game series or even if they got to play four or even five in a weekend, Coach Walter has like a lot of flexibility, got a lot of guys he can move around. And that's not something that you see across the, the college baseball landscape as a whole. You know, he's got – he can even – he can even put Rima Scola in there when he needs to. He, you know, he's got uh, – let me see, who am I missing? Uh, not to mention the closer – you know, Cam Anasi, you know, you got Cole Rowland who you can throw out, who's, who's you know, bouncing the ball at the back. Have y'all seen Cole Rowland on the mound? As fidgety as he is, you got to watch Cole Rowland. He's a blast yeah. to watch. He's, he's a fireball. Awesome. So uh, they've got a ton of arms, and, and I think that they are built. They're built to make a run in Omaha. Now they just got to figure out a way to get there. Well, I mean – Speaking as a former pitching coach at the Division II level, to have those types of options this time of year where that, it's a hard decision because you almost have too many guys. Like, which really good guy are we going to send out there? He threw, he threw Cam Manasi Saturday night in a 21 assist game because he needed to get him work. That, I mean, <laughs> in a regional. He needed to get his closer work. <laughs> like, that is bizarre. He's up, he's up 15 runs and go to closer because he's got to make sure he gets work. Tell me another college baseball team that did that this weekend. No, right, guys? We were seeing – I mean, you were seeing it all weekend of guys having to come back on one, two days rest and, and, you know, how are we going to get this guy? And a ton of freshmen were getting opportunities to start games when they'd been pitching out of the bullpen all year because teams were short. And like you said, Wake's out here getting their closer work in a 15-run game because it's just ho-hum. And that's what's so (laughs) impressive and – you know, against how the Big much, Ten champion, against the Big Ten champion, for heaven's sake, mm-hmm. who's yeah. an offensive firepower and, and playing in an offensive friendly ballpark, yeah. like all all of these, like none of that should have happened. And, and none of it makes just so good. Yeah. No, yeah. no, and and how much of that do you think has been something you know, the work of Corey Mascara, the pitching coach? Because you know these guys were young, but Hartle last year, I mean, he struck out a good number of guys, but he pitched and his ERA was a little bit inflated in like five and a half or so, and. 
Rhett Louder as a freshman had a had a you know a six ERA, and then Corey Mascara comes to town, and it seems like you know you're seeing what you're seeing, which is a team pitching to a sub three in college baseball in a year when offense is going rampant. So what have you seen from him, and how much credit does he deserve for some of this? All give them all. I mean, not all, but you know, ninety percent. Yeah, Corey is is incredible. Everybody loves Moose. He's made an incredible impact on this pitching staff. And it's interesting you talk about the ballpark. People probably don't think about this now because of the year Wake Forest has had pitching, but it is a hitter's ballpark, and that wind is blowing out. They call it the Deacon Wind because it's blowing out almost all the time. You know. In 2017, uh, D1 Baseball had an article with an anonymous coach that described David F. College ballpark as a wiffle ball ballpark. That's how they... <laughs> so one of my one of my baseball writers on the site got a little animated about it. Would constantly call uh, call anytime Wake hit a home run, he called a wiffle bomb. You know that he would, he would hashtag wiffle bomb it for like two or three years. He was he was mad about this. Shout out to you, Joseph. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for him to be able to do what he's done with this pitching staff, and uh, and you know, for a group that throws in David F. Couch ballpark for fifty percent of their games, is just incredible. And you see a natural progression of guys from year one to year two, from year two to year three. I mean, Wake Forest fans could really start salivating now over what Michael Massey and what Josh Hartle is going to look like next season. And I don't really expect there to be any, like, do I think Wake Forest will be number one in the nation next year? Probably not. Do I expect them to be right back in the mix in the conference? Probably so. I don't think, you know, even when you take some key guys out of this lineup from, you know, going in the draft, I think they're still going to be good. And they they started adding guys in the portal today. So uh, Coach Walter isn't good. Coach Walter isn't going to, like, put the championship trophies in the case and then say, okay, I did what I did. And now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be satisfied. I think they're, they're shooting to make a run out of this. Yeah. The, the pickup from, I forget his name from Wingate, but he, he's a good player from, from what I've seen and and the video that has surfaced on social media, he, he's a good player. So he's going to be a big piece and, and he's definitely going to help them out next year. So you mentioned obviously the big part of guys progressing through their careers, player development. And this is on both sides of the ball of what Wake has done, but everybody knows Wake Forest as the first team to get the pitching lab. And that was during, if I'm not mistaken, at least it was implemented during the Matt Hobbs era. He might not have been there to see the fruits of it. Kind of inner yeah. So somewhere in that intersection. And obviously Matt Hobbs is one of he's our favorite pitching coach in the country. We'll just put that out there. Um, and we think very highly of him, but kind of talk about the development and the ability to have so many guys utilizing the information of the lab and the analytics and how coach Walters and his staff balance that information and being able to translate it onto the field to make sure that the production matches the information they have. Well, it, you know, Coach Hobbs, obviously great, like you said. Now, I was talking to Rhett Louder about this just a few weeks ago, and it's one of those things that Rhett actually pitched in the lab when he came for his, like, visit to Wake Forest. And I didn't really realize this until, like, I started doing some research and talked to Rhett. But, like, Rhett wasn't highly recruited. Like, Rhett was one of those guys that, if he didn't go to Wake, was probably going to an Ivy League school. And, you know, that was, like, his choices at the time. And then when he got the offer, finally, he convinced Coach Bill Salento to give him a shot. 
they offered. He accepted like the same day and then was like, got a tour of the campus, got to pitch in the lab and was blown away with what he saw in there. But then like his senior year at high school, he only got to pitch like twice before it shut down. Like if he didn't get the offer from Wake, he never would have had a chance to show. He never would have blown up. You know what I'm saying? Like it was Wake Forest or nothing for Rhett Louder. And now he's two-time ACC Pitcher of the Year. But the lab, what it does is it gives them a chance to get in that equipment and work on specific pitches, specific um, routines, specific slots. And and it's way over my head. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but they they can take a motion and dissect it and show the guy exactly what he needs to do to improve their spin rate, to improve their velocity, and they're making machines out of these guys. And we're seeing guys, uh, their movements, t- you know, their movements come become better. They're able to add pitches. They're able to increase velocity. And they're just becoming complete pitchers. Um, they're not just, you know, blowing speed past guys. They've, you know, mm-hmm. like Glotter has four pitches he can count on and at any given time. And that's what makes him so dangerous. If if one isn't working a particular night, he can still get you out three different three other different ways. And all these other guys are coming along the same way. And that's something we we hadn't seen at Wake Forest in the past. Even with good guys like Parker Dunshee and Colin Palouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I mean, again, it's just all of this kind of builds together into kind of the monster that you're seeing, which is their pitching staff this year and how it's done. And one of the things that's fascinating to me is that, you know, you look at the starting pitching numbers and every single one of those guys have these microscopic ERAs. What's kind of just from being around it, what's their relationship like? Because I got to imagine it's a lot of fun to be one of those, you know, four or five starters that they're rolling out there and, you know, trying to one up each other. And I think that probably adds into it a little bit, too. Right. When you get those competitive juices and if I'm Josh Hartle throwing after Rhett Lauder, he's going seven strong. Now I want to go eight. And then Sean Sullivan's like, well, watch this. I'm going to do even more. So what's kind of that relationship between those guys like? Well, it's kind of funny because, I mean, Seth Keener went out like on Friday night and struck out like 13 out of nowhere, set a season high for Wake Forest pitchers. And then and then Louder gets to come out Saturday with a game that started at 1045, you know, and he, he looks for a while like he's going to surpass it, right? Um yeah, there's a great camaraderie. I know, like, Rhett, for instance, is often charting pitches on the days where he's not pitching himself, communicating with the guys. That's one of the things that, like, they they spend so much time together, a lot of them room together. Uh, they went on a summer retreat together. Um, the bonds are pretty real. You know, it's it's it really is a special team with a special, special culture right now. I don't know how replicatable this is for, for years moving forward. But this team is really together. So, um, yeah, yeah. And, this, and that goes with the starting pitching as well. And culture is such a big piece of all this. And, and Dan and I have been lucky enough to be a part of really good teams at when, when we coached, when we played. And when you talk about it being replicable, like that's the hardest thing to find is no matter how good of a year you have, like there's always that little sprinkle that, you just don't have on a year-to-year basis. And one of what was previously outside of the 1950s when they won a national championship, one of the best Wake Forest teams of recent memory was the 2017 team with Gavin Sheets and and Stu Fairchild, who are both in the big leagues as as it sits right now. Parker Dunchy, who was sadly just released by the A's. And just the list goes on and on. But 
what are some of the similarities and maybe even the differences that you see? It could be culture wise. It could be that it factor with this team, or it could be on field wise. That might be the same, but also might be different. That could make this 2023 team, you know, maybe go a step further than what that 2017 team was able to do. Well, there's a couple differences and that was a really fun team to cover. And um, I think we we're talking a little bit earlier tonight before we started going about that super regional down in Gainesville, when Ben Brazil hit that game-winning home run in game two at Gainesville, that's a like top five Wake Forest sports moment for me since I've been covering the programs. I mean, I'll never forget that home run. Even though they lost game three, that towering walk-off home run over the scoreboard at Florida was mm-hmm. just spine tingling. I'm getting chills talking about it Yeah, now. so did I. So did that I. Good. When you said that, I, I did too. I was like, that's awesome. It was it was just such a great moment, um, and it's a shame they couldn't finish that off. I think some of the biggest differences is that this team, more than any other team in the Coach Walter era that I've been around, is really good defensively. I mean, really good defensively. I think someone joked the other day, and it might be a common joke, that like the earth is covered by 71% water and Tommy Hawk covers the other 29% or something like that of it. You know, because Tommy Hawk is great in center. You know, Brock Wilkin has made great strides at third base. Um, Nick Kurtz is probably the best college first baseman I've ever seen in my life. The guy is flat out going to get paid next year. No doubt about it. I can see him being a top 10 draft pick, maybe top five. I hear some people may be saying he could go first. We'll, we'll see. Um, and in the middle of the infield, they've got a freshman at shortstop that is not, he's, you know, he's over the Mendoza line. He's not a great hitter, although he's improved as the season goes on. But he's just a vacuum cleaner at shortstop. And then Justin Johnson is a brilliant second baseman, you know, makes the small play and is really good at second. You know, Bennett Lee's good behind the plate, and they've gotten better in the outfield as well. It's just all around a great defensive team. They had this weird game at Coastal Carolina where they had like seven, I think, errors that was like, I think that was like 15% of their errors for the entire season all in one game. But aside from that, they have been clean. They are great defensively. And that is a bit of a departure versus 2017. I'd also say the other difference is they have pitching depth. They have reliable, deep uh arms in the bullpen they've got eight or ten that they can go to without worry and then they've got four or five behind them that you can use in games in which you've got a comfortable lead and you aren't super concerned right so before the season started before losing teddy mcgraw and crawford wade who was lost after the first weekend uh coach walter believed he had probably a dozen arms he'd count on i think that shrunk down to ten but that's still more than anybody else in college baseball. So I think that's the biggest difference is pitching and defense. You know, uh, that team in 17 can mash. You know, that this team can mash. The top two arms in, in 17, the top one or two arms, Parker Dunshee and Rhett Lauder, were both great Friday starters. I would argue that Rhett Lauder is probably a little bit more of a ready-made major leaguer, that I would be shocked if he's not in the league with the quickness. I mean, I, a year or two max. You know, I think he, I think he could probably go now. You know, so as much as we love Parker, I think that Rhett's probably more ready-made major leaguer right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's the pitching depth that's probably the biggest difference, along with their ability to field the ball cleanly. Well, and that's that's huge as, as far as the defense goes. Was that something that they 
they kind of saw that they had some good athletes and they made that, uh, you know, they make a committed effort to kind of improve upon that defense in the fall and, and early on in the spring. Was that something that was talked about a lot around there? Yeah, there's a lot of strides made the previous year, as a matter of fact, but it's just, it really took the next step this year. You know, I would say that it was really a, a huge focus point. It's also one of those things, if you've got this front arm, you know, front line arm talent, you want to back it up by when they put the ball in play, making plays for them. Right. So those two things kind of go hand in hand. And then the guys in the field might actually get bored at times because like last last weekend, 50 of the 81 outs were recorded via a strikeout. So, you know, you're not going to have too many errors in those type of situations. In a regional, again, I just want to continue to point out that this wasn't in a weekend series, non-conference weekend series to start the year. This was in a regional that they're putting up numbers like that. And that's just what's strikeouts. incredible. Yeah, that's just, I mean, that's that's almost nonsense. Like, it, it's it's almost like they were too good, and, and um, it's fascinating. And the other thing to me which makes this team so impressive is you talk about how, you know, they pitch it, check, right? Defensively, they're great. But then all those guys who are making the plays defensively, as you've mentioned several times, they swing the bat. I mean, you know, Nick Kurtz has 23 homers. Brock Wilkin has 27. I mean, to watch them with the power they have to then also be that good defensively, who in this lineup do you kind of see as the spark plug? If this guy goes, they go. Is it Tommy Hawk, truly? Yeah, it really is Tommy Hawk. You know, he's kind of, you know, the prototypical leadoff guy. He can he can chop it on the ground and, and, you know, beat out an infield hit. You know, he can slash it into the outfield and get on base. And, you know, he can kind of create a little bit of havoc on the on the base pass. He's not a big stolen base guy, but he can he can keep, you know, he can keep the catcher and pitcher honest and get them distracted a little bit to, you know, the other thing I think is interesting is is Pierce Bennett and Justin Johnson come to bat with runners on base so often because people don't want to throw to Brock Wilkin or or, or, or a Nick Kurtz. You know, Nick usually bats third, Brock fourth, and then behind them is usually Justin Johnson and or Pierce Bennett. And they're seeing runners on base so often because guys are just working around the other two and they're taking advantage of it. Pierce Bennett has 62 ribbies. You know, uh, I'm looking right now. Uh, Justin Johnson has 74 RBIs. He's second in the team in RBIs behind Brock Wilkin because guys just aren't wanting to throw to those other guys for some strange reason, you know, because they can hit it to the moon, you know. <laughs> yeah, the the lineup one through nine is, is probably the most impressive thing I mean, it's not the most impressive thing that they have, but like it's it's what makes this team so unique and why, you know, when you talk about the teams that have the ingredients to get to Omaha, we're not going to sit here and say it's a guarantee because baseball is a weird game. But when you have the ingredients to play defense, to pitch it the way they pitch it, to miss bats the way they miss bats, and then to hit the way they do as well, it's the ingredients that are necessary to almost be foolproof, right? Sometimes when the lineup doesn't show up, well, guess what? Then Rhett Lauder goes, you know, I know the joke on, well, it was death taxes and Rhett Lauder seven shutout innings was the running joke for a little bit there, and it pretty much was. And I want to ask you, is Tommy Hawk as cool as he, as he seems? Cause he's an Oak Island kid. He looks like he, he grew up in a beach town. Is that, is that show or is that, is that real? No, that's, that's real. I've heard he's, he, yeah, he's the jokester of the group. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was kind of funny because I had had from another journalist, I'd heard that 
they overheard like the Wake Forest SID make a comment like, oh, we can't put him on national TV, but it was just kind of joking because he was kind of put on there. So, but he's a jokester. He's a super good guy. You know, him and him and uh, Josh Hartle have a great relationship coming from the same high school. So, but yeah, everybody loves Tommy Hawk and a great family and a great, great, great kid. I am interested to see how his game trans because he's he's popping on some draft boards mm-hmm. now. But he is really a small kid, so I'm I'm curious to see how that will translate. I don't know if he's planning on coming back for another season or if he's going to see what happens in the draft. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that translates. But super good kid, and he does set the table for Wake Forest when he's going. You know, a lot of runs are coming on the board. I think one thing that people don't know about Tommy Hawk is he plays a little bit of infield, right? He was originally an infielder before he moved out to the outfield. Yeah, he was for a while. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think he's been there this season, if I remember correctly. Okay. He's been there all season. Yeah, because yeah, I've heard a lot of people that, that we know that are um, draft or around the draft, and they've said that MLB organizations are like, we'll try him at second base too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's no, yeah, there's no reason not to. He could turn into one of those super utility guys. Um, but, you know, that obviously the most important thing that we'll talk about here, and we got so much information on the team, is is this weekend ahead, right? You talked about the atmosphere this past weekend. You talked about the ticket sales being what they are, how much of a, a hot ticket this is. Not even breaking into Alabama, we'll get into that. What does this weekend mean to Wake Forest and Wake Forest baseball specifically? That's a tough question because it's like it's like one of the, like we talked about, like you talked about just recently. Like college baseball, it's a high variance sport, right? I mean, and weird things happen. You know, I think the Wake Forest fan base. I did a poll, you know, like a week ago before the regional started. And I asked Wake Forest fans what needs to happen for this to be considered a successful season. And more than 70% of my readers were like, it's got to be Omaha, you know? And and it's weird because, I mean, you can – they haven't lost on a weekend this entire season. When I say that, they haven't lost a weekend, right? They haven't lost right. a series this entire year. You'd hate – for Wake Forest, you'd hate for that to happen this coming weekend. But we all know it can happen, right? So – um yeah, I guess at this point they need to make a dome wall for this to be considered a successful season. Even Coach Tom Walter said last week before it started that this train has one destination, you know, and if we don't reach that destination, it'll, it can't be a success. So, yeah, they need to win two out of three this weekend. And we talked about the atmosphere briefly. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Saturday night because, you know, I don't know how much you guys know, but the game was delayed because of, you know, inclement weather in the area and, they 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 kind of gave us a, 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 a postpone not postponement but that a delay about forty five minutes before first pitch so if I remember correctly it's scheduled to start at six and we found out about five fifteen to be delayed uh, the game didn't start till ten forty five you know which is a four hour and forty five minute delay and by the time the game started I'm not going to say that the stands were packed but it was a sold out crowd and I'd say. 75% full, and that was the most obnoxious, loud, crazy environment for Wake Forest baseball I've ever seen in my life. I had to escape out of the press box periodically just to go out and kind of like soak it in, you know, wow. because the fans were rabid. Uh, they were, it was, they were, it was incredible. I can't, it's the best atmosphere for Wake Forest baseball I've ever experienced. And it's kind of wild to be, you know, sitting here talking about Wake Forest baseball 
being a hot ticket, but that's where we're at right now. It's 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 hard to get tickets, but the Deeks they they, they need to win the series, you know, or their fan base and the program's going to be disappointed at this point. They they've they've kind of run the table every weekend up to this. Uh, you know, Red Louder's you know the the Deeks are sixteen and zero when Red Louder starts. So when Red Louder Day comes up on the calendar for Saturday, the expectation is that the Deeks take a one nothing lead in the series. And then you have Josh Hartle and who knows, potentially on Monday. So uh, you got to beat Bama. Uh, got to find a way to beat the Crimson Tide in advance. As, you know, Wake has advantage on almost every, you know, area. Um, got to figure out a way to win too. Hmm. That's incredible. But I got to be honest with you. You just broke my and Trevor's hearts a little bit. We were, we were in the building on Saturday before the game. We had tickets. We were there. We were with our wives, though. And we, when when I think there was a tweet notification that went out that they weren't going to um, update the uh, the game time, whether or not they were going to play. There wasn't going to be another update until about 8 o'clock, and it was about 6.30. And, and we had to make the tough decision to pull the plug on it. So I'm definitely – we haven't brought that up on the podcast yet, um, but I'm definitely jealous that we missed out to hear that the crowd was back. Shame, shame. <laughs> Bring out the Game of Thrones, you know, Jeff, you know, shame, shame. Y'all should have been there. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. And in all my years covering Wake Forest baseball, there's never been anything like it. Y'all missed out on a hell of a night. That's Man. yeah, that's that's a shame and 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 it hurts a little bit, I'll be honest. So not to uh dampen the mood at all, but what could potentially be outside of just Baseball being baseball, and, and, you know, we saw Vanderbilt and Regional go two for 18 with runners in scoring position, and that was kind of their death sentence. What potentially could be the trouble for them this weekend against Alabama? Red Louder could end up uh, showing us that he's mortal, you know. Uh, that would be one problem spot. They have had, uh, much like Vanderbilt, like you talked about, they've had a propensity at times of leaving runner stranded, you know, uh, not, not getting the situational hitting, not getting the, the, the hit when they need it. Um, you know, yeah, and if they, you know, they've fallen behind in series and, and come back, but they've never had Rhett go out there and lose a game. If they, if they lose Saturday at noon, then I would be extremely concerned about their ability to come back, you know, especially if they have to use some bullpen arms. I think the fact that it's not a longer weekend probably gives Alabama a little bit more of an opportunity, right? Like if, yep. you know, like if there are other games involved, like if, if Alabama was one of the like four regional teams, I'd feel better because then their their pitching is going to be more exposed. Right. But they probably have enough arms to piece together 27, 27 innings if they need to probably. So, uh, you know, they had to stretch that for 36 or, or 54, 54. I think I just added a bunch of games. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 36, 36 or 45, I guess I should have said. Uh, anyway. <laughs> but you, you get what I'm saying. They yes, can probably yeah, piece yeah, together yeah. 27 quality innings. So leaving runners on base, Rhett Louder, you know, being mortal. Um, I think those are probably the biggest worries. You know, you, you want to start off 1-0 in the series. Um, and, you know, you can't leave a bunch of runners on base. Yeah, and that that's baseball sometimes. And I don't know if you've gotten into your prep on Alabama on what to expect, um, but obviously they've been playing really good baseball um, since. I know they were pushed a little bit in their first couple of games, though. Yeah, they were, they yeah. were, and they ended up squeaking out, um, which was good uh, for them. And you know, unfortunately, they've been playing really good baseball since their coach got fired for gambling or <laughs> we something, don't need yeah. to go into something like that. But 
it's an SEC program. And we hear all the time, time and time again, if anybody's around college baseball, I mean, they put it on their commercial. It's the SEC. It means more. What would this mean for the ACC in general for a wake to win to take? It's not the LSUs. It's not the Vanderbilts. It's not the Arkansas of the world, but to win and to prove that like, no, we could be at the top of this division, this conference too. But what would be the negative side effects on the ACC side of things if the 16 seed and really not even a great SEC team came into the number one teams in the country's park and and took two out of three? Well, I think most people know, most people, most knowledgeable college baseball fans know that that's just kind of college baseball. But there, there is, I get what you're saying though. I think Mm -hmm. that, um, I think that, um, for, for Wake Forest, you know, you probably when it got down to Alabama and Boston College, I think the fact that Wake had already beat Boston College at the couch, you know, two out of three, I don't really want to see them again at this point. Yeah. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's a chance of maybe not being mentally as sharp. I think having an SEC school coming to Winston Salem probably helps this team who just ran roughshod over their regional, right, forty to seven. It probably helps them stay a little bit more sharp you know, entering Saturday afternoon, knowing that they got this opponent from the highly regarded Southeastern Conference that's kind of on a roll. You know, it's not a team that you've already beaten two out of three earlier this season. I think it helps Wake Forest stay sharp. What does it mean? Eh, probably not much in the long term if Wake beats mm. them because they're, they're going to run into a bunch of those Southeastern Conference teams in the next step, right? So you're going to see teams like, you know, LSU or maybe Kentucky, you know, in the next, in the next, uh, I think it's right there in the same bracket, or maybe potentially Tennessee even. So uh, there could be two SEC teams in the Wake Forest bracket in Omaha should the Deeks get there. So there's there's time enough to show that Wake belongs in that kind of level of competition, which I think they've kind of shown throughout the season anyway. Yeah. Since I asked the question of what would what would potentially trip them up, I'll ask the fun one. Finish this sentence for me. Wake Forest wins this weekend if. If they get into the Alabama bullpen, if they knock out, if they if they if they get to the pin quickly, like the quicker they get the starters out and start depleting the bullpen, the more chances this will be similar to last weekend where Wake outscored their opponents forty eight to seven. Yeah, that's that's the key. Yeah, I mean that's that's awesome to see to see. I mean, to me, you know, when when I look at it, and I haven't followed Alabama quite as closely as Wake Forest because Wake Forest has been, you know, the top of the rankings. But, you know, obviously a really good offense that that can swing it. And, and you know, they, they, I think they have over 100 home runs on the year. But outside of the, the top two guys, you know, it, the numbers aren't as pretty as they are for Wake Forest on the mound. And, you know, like, like we all know in baseball, especially this time of year, it's going to come down to who can get the big outs and who can get the, the clutch hits. So, um It'll be exciting. It's going to be a fun one. I know that wasn't really a question, but that was more of a. I, I can't. I can't wait to watch it. I know that. Where are you all going to be this weekend? I can't imagine you're going to try to make it to Winston Salem because those tickets are impossible this weekend. Yeah, unfortunately for me, I it's my my father's seventieth uh, birthday this weekend, so I'll be back home in uh, in Delaware. We're, we're based out of Raleigh right now, so I'll be back home in Delaware, where I'm from, this weekend. So unfortunately, I won't get out to any uh, supers this weekend. Well, happy birthday to Dan's dad. <laughs> thank you that's awesome i think he listens so he'll hear that that's incredible <laughs> yeah so i i would love to get up there but like you said the tickets are 
not even yeah not even worth fighting tooth and nail to get when i can get squeeze play on my tv in a second screen with wake forest game and and just kick my feet up and relax on the couch my daughter's boyfriend uh, is a first year law student at wake so he gets the free ticket and my daughter my 23 year old daughter wanted to go and i tell you this i've been covering wake forest since 2014 i've looked for a ticket for a family member including this time precisely one time, my entire career at Cover Wake Forest, and I couldn't find a ticket wow. for my daughter. And I'm not trying to exaggerate. I'm pretty well known around Wake Forest circles. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been covering this team for not. There's not a whole lot of Wake Forest media. I'm like the guy. I'm not trying to be, you know, 100. <laughs> percent Me to have trouble getting a ticket. I was telling you guys something. It's impossible to get tickets for this thing. Anyway, I'll tell you. So uh, Dan and I came up with an idea when we were walking around last week. We so we have our um, our participant passes, the NCAA that they have around their neck, and there's no yeah, way the security. One. Yeah, <laughs> there's no way if I if I walked up with my participant one with the wrong logo on that anybody's checking it. So yeah, I might have to try. Exactly. Yeah, we were we were throwing it around the idea. I think I, I still have mine somewhere. Now, thanks to you. <laughs> Sorry, we'll, we'll cut it out. Phoebe will cut it out. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So, um, I'll I'll ask you this to end it. I mean, it's going to be kind of similar to to what we were just talking about. But but what are your expectations for? just the atmosphere and just everything. I, I just want to kind of hear your, you know, kind of put it all into one, you know, kind of paragraph and and kind of summarize what you're expecting from this weekend. I mean, I'm expecting electricity. I mean, the Wake Forest alumni, the, the community, uh, the, the folks surrounding the baseball program and the athletic department in general are as fired up about the super regional as they've been, any sporting event in the nine years I've been covering Wake Forest athletics. Um, you know, they feel like this is an opportunity to secure a path to, to potentially win a national championship. And they have done everything in their power to make this uh, a great event for the Wake Forest the fan base. You know, their ability to, you know, kind of uh, maneuver on the fly to provide a good experience, you know, after four hour and 45 minute, you know, rain delay, you know, the athletic director and some of his other people in the department were literally, you know, with towels wiping off seats for customers as they come back. You know, the athletic director, John Curry was wiping off seats with towels for customers as they come back. You know, they kept staffing for concessions and concessions were still open. And, you know, they kind of wanted it out there that come on back to the couch, whether you have a ticket or not, you know, we want, we want fans in the stands and, so everybody just came back, you know, whether or not they'd had a few drinks before they came back or not, they came back, you know, and they were loud, and, you know, and I expect this weekend to be pretty special. You know, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the environment Saturday afternoon should be a lot of fun. We don't know when the game is Sunday yet, waiting on TV to decide that, but it's going to be a packed house at the couch. My understanding is there's 600 Bama fans who have given tickets, so there, there will be a little bit of a mixed crowd. Um, so there will be some Crimson Tide in the audience, and that should make it kind of fun. So back in 2017, 
you know, it wasn't like this at Wake Forest. The regional matchup between Wake Forest and and, and West Virginia was like 3,000 strong in a, in a facility that holds like 3,800. But the crowd was like 50-50. You know, it was mm-hmm. just as many just as many Mountaineer fans as there were Deeks. But the, this year, the community is 100% behind this team. The alumni's there. The administration's there. And I mean, it's, it's, it's been, it's been pretty wild to watch. Well, that's perfect. That, and that, that's a perfect way to, to conclude this episode as well. Um, we appreciate the conversation. It's been a lot of fun, um, you know, and just being able to dive in on, like you said, the, basically somebody who's been there every step of this journey through this season and being able to get a deep dive on that, you know, Dan and I have talked about wake throughout the year, you know, I think if there's any team with the recipe to do it, um, I think they got as good of a shot as any team across the country. I think they can go toe to toe lineup wise, pitching staff wise, bullpen wise with anybody. So we are definitely our allegiances with the demon Deacons and hoping they run all the way to Omaha and, and potentially a national championship. But thank you uh, for all this information. I know our listeners, listeners are going to appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on Trevor and Dan and Phoebe. And once again, happy birthday to, to Dan's dad and I hope y'all have a great weekend ahead. Thank you. Appreciate that Les. Thank you. Well, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're sub- subscribing to the podcast on all platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. I know this one's going to come out on Thursday. You know, we all have priorities, and we wanted to work around Les's schedule. His, his, his wife, his birthday was yesterday, just like Dan's wife's birthday, or Dan's dad's birthday is this weekend. So we all got priorities that are more important. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends. And we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball offers the best athletic leisure options going. We're talking shirts hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could ask for. Perfect for all your events and activities this summer. You headed to a game, throw on a nice routine tee and a hat. How about a cookout? Throw on some routine shorts and sunglasses. You'll be super comfortable, no sweat, perfect fit. I just got fitted in my routine stuff, and it's all I want to wear, and it's all I will be wearing this summer. And you can too. All you have to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have. And you can receive 10% off your offer today. Again, all you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10% off your order today. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure 
to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.